Hello, the internet, and welcome to Season 213, Episode 1 of Your Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, and it is Monday, November 29th, 2021. Uh, I didn't even look up what international day it is. I think, is that Cyber Monday? Do we call that Cyber Monday? The day, the Monday after uh, yeah, yeah. Black Friday? Yeah, Cyber Monday, that's what it is. It always sneaks up on me, you know. Uh, now they're looking. A lot of people complain about how Cyber Monday celebrations start earlier and earlier every year, but uh, this year really snuck up on me, guys. But that's that's all we need to care about. It doesn't matter. We don't need to recognize anything other than Cyber Monday, Jeff Bezos's, uh, you know, created holiday. <laughs> Anyways, my name is Jack O'Brien, aka Mustache. Grow a mustache. Your phone can ID your face at all. Look like an unemployed cop. It'll dominate all your <laughs> Zoom calls. Chase Julia Roberts down the street. Make parents pull their kids near to their seat. When you've got a mustache, it's a Ted Lasso Borat joke. An eye contact broke. Your wife won't like you time. Uh, that is courtesy of the past couple weeks of my life. Uh, <laughs> Living with a mustache. Um, no. Yeah. How bad is your life, really, though? Very. Like, Aww. legitimately, like, I can sense that she likes me less. Uh, and then um, I point it out, and she's like, yeah, I do. Like, that's that's accurate, man. You, what about you your You look children? like a creep. Uh, they're they they're kind of you? over it. They think, yeah, okay, they still right. like me. Because like, they don't have enough uh, you know, cultural... Uh, experience to recognize mm. what this mustache means and wh- what it signifies about somebody. I should actually be concerned that they're not more uh, alarmed by my right. mustache. Right. They got to they get to know. Yeah. Like, you want to watch out for this in the real world, kids. Yeah. Okay? Not I should have like, like, changed my personality when I grew <laughs> it just to like... <laughs> so they're like, uh-oh. This is, this is not a good thing. Anyways, uh, I'm thrilled to be joined uh, by a, a special guest co-host whose voice you've already heard. Uh, she's a producer here at the iHeartRadio LA Podcast Studio, uh, helping to create shows like, I don't know, Fake Doctors, Real Friends, and Damn. Scientology Fair Game with Leah Remini. Yep. Uh, she's a fabulous writer who you can read at Vulture, The AV Club, Team Vogue, Pace, The Advocate, all the ones. Uh, a talented on-mic podcaster whose voice you can hear uh on fake doctors and pop culture happy hour all all that shit she is the brilliant and talented joelle moni aka the marvel defender aka your <laughs> sister's best friend i will hey. beat you up um oh, hey no. <laughs> that was yeah. such a lovely introduction i'm happy you do my resume for me so i don't yes. have to do it <laughs> yeah no always um Yay. Wait, so why why would you beat somebody up? You, you like the the two Just your sister's best friend should be able to beat you and any other man that comes anywhere near her up. Like just okay. at all times just be prepared to beat up right. a man. Okay. You know, hopefully you never have to use your powers, but yeah. should the need arise, I'm prepared. Well, Joelle, not <laughs> only am I uh so fortunate and blessed to be joined by you as a guest co-host, uh we are thrilled to be joined uh by one of the very faces on Mount Zeitmore. Uh, he co-hosts the podcast, The Worst Idea of All Time. Uh, he's just one of the funniest stand-up comics doing it. Uh, one of your favorites, one of our favorites, 
one of our favorites, uh, the hilarious and talented Guy Montgomery. Oh, oh my word. Oh, thank you so much, Jack and Joel, as always. An honor to be here. Very difficult to sit through a minute long diatribe against uh, mustaches. <laughs> When I, <laughs> I don't rock just a seasonal mustache. Uh, I've spent a lot of my adult life wearing a mustache. I didn't realize that I was in some sort of subset of society. It's um, all what? about it's all about the like the particulars on the mustache, mm. right? Mm. Like see, you look yeah. you look great with a mustache. Yeah. It works with your complexion. My my mustache is uh, very dark and uh, un un. Yeah, it just it's it's rude. It's I obtrusive actually, and rude. I I first grew this because I couldn't grow a mustache for a long time, and I grew this um, when I started doing stand up comedy because mm-hmm. I thought um, people look funnier with a mustache. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, and yeah. then this year, I so I had it for several years, and this year as a, as a gift to my mum, who I was with for New Year's Eve, I shaved off my mustache, and I said, "Mum." I'm not going to have a mustache all year because mums hate mustaches. What? Yeah. I'm learning so much today. Why does your mom? I understand why ladies are very particular about their guys like facial hair. Okay. They have to kiss it. It's a lot. But mm. why is your mom like no on the mustache? Uh, my what? mom and I are big on open mouth kissing. And so she <laughs> hates the way it feels. No, it's, um, it's because I think she wants me to still be her little boy. Uh-huh. Oh. And uh, and the mustache represents the grown-ass man that, that it I It destroys am. the illusion for her. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I was but, just yeah. thinking... Maybe perhaps kids aren't afraid of the mustache now because, like, for as for us as children, it like represented like perverts. We were like, yeah. mustaches yeah. are weird, creepy guys in the backs of the blockbusters. Don't go back there. It's weird. Uh, I think kids now associated with Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, and they're like, that guy's cool as hell. He's a billionaire mm. and a playboy and a philanthropist. Like, he's got everything. He's totally ready. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. has single handedly changed the face of mustaches for children. But he's got a goatee, doesn't he? He's not just straight up. Mustachioed. He's the exact same combo as you have in Sherlock Holmes. It's just mustache, oh, little soul patch right, underneath. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I'm also interested, Jack, because I think a mustache is okay, but I think that that little goatee you've got beneath your bottom lip is mm. the problem. Is borderline the inexcusable. Problem. <laughs> do, you, do you not think that perhaps if you lost that part of your facial hair, that your your wife might um forgive some of you know some of your decisions through November? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I also it means enough to me. To uh, you know, I only get to wear a mustache once in my life. I think mm-hmm. uh, so. I'm gonna. I I've always wanted to look oh. like Val Kilmer in Tombstone. Instead, I I don't look like that. But uh, you know, it was a valiant effort. So I, well, gonna, I think you a give it a shot. Hat. Yeah, I, I think it's very becoming on you. And I I've also <laughs> got to ask, did you self write that um that intro that jaunty intro tune? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did wow. this morning. Um. Good Just, on you, man. Hey, it means it a lot. A great one. Um, I've I've had a lot of material because literally every uh, Zoom call, every work call, every uh, conversation that I have with somebody starts with fifteen minutes of them talking about how I look like Julia Roberts's uh, dangerous ex-husband and sleeping with the enemy. Oh, no. uh, how, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's plan- and also just a, a month of not being able wow. to open my phone with my face. I um, I think you look like no. a hot little piece of ass. 
ass. <laughs> so um, why don't you put that in your next song? <laughs> that's that's kind. Uh, I appreciate that. All right, guy. Well, as you know, uh, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. Um, but first, we're going to tell our listeners just a couple of the things we're talking about. Uh, we're going to have a uh, special guest, Robert Evans, join. I've been wanting to hear his thoughts on the uh, Rittenhouse verdict and just mm-hmm. where we're at with regards to the possibility of a second American Civil War um, and, you know, just fun stuff like that. Um, and also, I'm just like, I feel like for for whatever reason, even before uh, Rittenhouse went and met with Trump at Mar-a-Lago uh, at the end of last week, uh, I was like, this somehow helps Trump, I feel like. And now, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like he's going to get reelected. I've felt that way for a while. So I'm very worried about that. Guys, is there more space over there where you are? I hear it's lovely. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. We got, I think per cabin, we got too much space. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Barely, you can barely move for free space. Also true of America. America has like one of the lowest population densities of any uh, country, but they, they pretend like, ah, we're running out. We're full. There's no, no more space yeah. here. I drove through the middle once and there was nothing but space. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing there. <laughs> yeah. it's also, I feel like the middle is where people lose their minds because they're too far away from the sea. I think if yeah. you get too far away from the sea for too long, you kind of lose perspective. Mm. See, for me, it was not being able to order 4 a.m. Thai. That's really why I had to leave the middle space. <laughs> yeah. You need to be able to get Thai food any time of the night, or what is the point of living? Yeah. It's not there. Fair enough. Um, we're going to talk about fentanyl fear-mongering going on. It has expanded to uh, weed. The The U.S. police are are letting people know, you got you to gotta be careful, because uh, the drug dealers are uh, spraying the weed with fentanyl and as far as we can tell that's not true um so we're gonna talk about that uh we are going to revisit mcdonald's ice cream machine because that saga has continued to unfold and continued to be a better and better metaphor for just how american capitalism actually works all the important stories at daily zeitgeist today yes um, well, actually, Joel, it is a metaphor for the military industrial complex. I will have you know. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to, to, to oscillate between, uh, you know, really lighthearted and silly stuff, but, but then also quite grave and serious stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I've the McDonald's ice cream machine. Yeah. yeah. We're going to get to some of that stuff, maybe more. Uh, but before we get to any of it, Guy, we do like to ask our guests, what's something from your search history? So I recently um, was researching the, um, I think her name is Paula Cole. You know, yeah. she had that song, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? Yeah. Oh, classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was um, trying to be funny in conversation with my girlfriend. So I Googled, where have all the cowboys actually gone? <laughs> you know, <laughs> wanting, to, wanting to know where these cowboys have gone. And through that, I found this incredible... Like near the top of the Google hit on that, I found this incredible like 10-year-old Reddit post where the title is, uh, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? Feminism Killed Them. Oh, and no. it's this like ancient screed written by some disgruntled internet user. Um, th- I didn't actually find out where the, where the true cowboys have gone. Perhaps like you, Joel, they've moved somewhere where they have access to Thai food <laughs> around the clock. No, they're still out there. Oklahoma teaching kids how to ride bulls by first having them ride sheep. They're working hard, keeping the lifestyle <laughs> but, alive. 
the Twitter account that posted it is called Pro Woman Anti Feminist, and it's just like a disaster oh. of sort of um, pseudo attempted pseudo intellectual, you know, scribblings where it says. Um, Paula Cole captures the cognitive dissonance when a woman's primal nature clashes with a modern woman's feminist indoctrination. It's like a comedy yeah. essay. I'm, I'm assuming she did not intend to, uh, like, you know, make no, a is, men's is, rights activist. I think the uh, issue with ski. creating art is once you put it out in the world, it's not really yours anymore. And yeah. you don't get to choose mm. who likes it or how they interact with it. Mm. And, um, you know, she just wrote a jaunty tune. Yes. A sad tune. It starts right. as a love story and it ends, um, they don't end up so happy together. I know. He leaves. What a shame. The nerve of this guy to leave. Fucking cowboys, man. They always do. They always break your heart. Um, <laughs> that's why I always tell uh, mamas not to raise their sons to grow up to be them. Um, I've said that from day one. All right, guy, what is something you think is overrated? Overrated? I've been opening some of these recently, and I guess, what do you do? You read them? Do you look at them? Pop-up books. Pop-up books. You know the those best. books? The books where the stuff yeah. pops up out of the middle? Yeah. Nah, man. Overrated. Overrated. What where is your you? sense of childhood joy gone, guy? We just turned <laughs> page at all. It's three-dimensional art just flung into my eyes. I feel like they're authors who are, are trying to make movies, but they're not quite there yet. Pick a team. <laughs> yeah what are you you know (laughs) they are very enjoyable to children but i think for the reason that they are the closest books come to being toys and (laughs) so that yeah i see listen no imagination and joy in between two hard covers very pro book over here when the art is actually lifted off the page and sometimes they have like a little pull tabs you know where there's other things behind the thing hey i didn't say a single bad thing about those pull tabs (laughs) the pull tabs are incredible but you know if you want to make a movie make a movie (laughs) um yeah. Of course, they use pop up books. <laughs> so violent. So <laughs> clues behind every tab. I love it. They're also getting better. That is one thing that uh, I have noticed uh, has been improved upon since I was a youngster when a pop up book consisted of like a cutout of whatever would have been drawn there. And just like mm-hmm. you open it and it like kind of moves forward slightly. Like they have gotten pretty uh, elaborate with the with the uh, sort of a kinetic origami is what I'll call it, guys. Absolutely, uh, yeah. it's poetry in motion. Um, the the pop up book industrial complex will not go down without a fight. You know, they're using <laughs> higher grade cardboard. They have more resilient mm. pop outs now because they've seen what children are doing to these pop outs, and they've said, "How can we counter that?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The yeah, really watch but, out for big pop up. Yeah, yeah, I'm against them. <laughs> <laughs> what is something you think is underrated? Well, I so I'm I'm in Auckland, New Zealand, um, mm. and we are actually we've just celebrated our hundredth day of our lockdown. So that's obviously a huge accomplishment in and of itself, but it does come with missing. Uh, you're both making quite. You're sort of scrunching up your faces at me. <laughs> you did not days. Yeah, <laughs> three months. Uh, do you guys know when you're getting out? This feels like if I were in prison for life and someone's like, man, 
I got five months in here, but we made it through the first three. We're good. I'd be like, fuck you. We're, no, we're, we are, we're almost out. And it's, um, you know, it's been a long time, but it's done its job. But I miss um, socializing. You'll be shocked to hear. Do you? And uh, <laughs> one of the things I'm looking forward to, which I think is underrated, is getting into a car with um, uh-huh. four adult friends, getting like five grown-ups in a car. Because technically, a car is designed to accommodate five grown-ups, but as soon as you do it, you know they never thought it would actually happen. Instantly regrettable. <laughs> every time. Yeah. And there's just there's a, there's something I like about that. that there's a camaraderie. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, being in the middle in the back and you think there's not enough space back here. Right. I just want to f- I just want to feel the experience of socializing, I guess is what I'm saying maybe. Maybe I think <laughs> socializing is underrated. But mainly it's the just being like crushed into a uh, into a moving vehicle. I, I, I feel like and this might, you know, it, we're rounding into summer here and I'm getting getting excited and I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, yeah. But I, there's something about, like, if I get into a car with four other adults, it, it's usually because we're going somewhere exciting mm. or a little <laughs> bit, you know, it's a little <laughs> bit hard to get to or a little bit far away. And um, I want that feeling. Listen, um, I respect it. I went bowling for the first time, like, in 15 years, two weeks ago, but it was also the first time I saw more than like two friends in their house where we're trying to socially distance and be respectful and not kill each other. Uh, and it was wonderful. We got drinks. There was pizza involved. It Ooh. was it was pretty close to heaven uh, after being trapped in my house. I had a work meeting in person the other day, guys. It's mind-blowing. Wow. I was there. We in an office talking to each other, drawing on walls. I, who knew life was this glorious? I really feel like the pandemic has given me a new lease on life. In that, like, I just really want to appreciate every day I don't have to be inside of my house. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. That was great. Just be, like, Joel, you weren't here for this, but Guy was just lording it over us for all this time. <laughs> oh, wow. But we were in America oh. as the United States was wow. crumbling around us and we weren't allowed out of the house. Guy was like, Yeah, I just went to a sporting event and it was mm-hmm. wonderful and freeing. Um, how's it going over there though? Even though we had just talked for 15 minutes about how it's going over here. (laughs) Guy, disappointing. That's okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a centurion now. So we, I've experienced some of those liberties and now I also have the, I guess the sense of participation and accomplishment that comes with being in your house for a very long time. Yeah. Basically spent summer break, uh, grounded. And while I respect the hard time you have done, we're, we're quickly approaching year three. It's so yeah. long in this damn house. I know. This is what I say. I say, am I the only with the novel coronavirus? Am I, the, am I the only one of us who thinks the novelty has well and truly worn <laughs> off? I mean, that's, that's good material uh, right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got, uh, I think I have a booster coming up. So yeah, it's exciting. Oh, you got to get, exciting you got to get those boosters, right? Mm-hmm. Am yeah. I right? <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. We're gonna see if we can't track down Robert Evans, and we will be right back. And we're back, uh, and Robert has just joined the conversation. Whoa! I am 
seeing Jack's mustache for the first time here. Hey. Welcome to the conversation, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is this is exciting. I didn't expect this is Christmas came early this year. Hell yeah. yeah. Since uh, the Rittenhouse verdict came in uh, and I saw a cryptic tweet from you uh, saying, be careful what you post on social media yep. today. Uh, I, I've been wanting to just kind of overall get your thoughts um, on what uh, where, where this puts us. Um, yeah. Because it does seem, you know, you, you've been in the shit. You were uh, on the streets in Portland during a lot of the uh, violence that happened there during the, you know. Oh, yeah. Protests. Had a lot of guys pointing guns at me in the wake of the Rittenhouse, uh, sh the initial shooting. Because when, when, when that happened... Every right winger in the Northwest decided it's time to show up in a crowded city at a protest with a big old gun and see if I might get a chance to shoot somebody. It was a yeah. fun couple of weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> with, with all that being said, how, like, what, what are your thoughts on where we are? And, and like, in the context of like violence and, you know, well, Jack, the, I. I think it's the dawning of an of an era of good feelings. I think I think <laughs> things are fine. Um, people seem to like each other more than ever. Um, I feel like we're all getting on the same page about some important issues. Uh, mm. We really have built back better uh, in 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 summation. Great. Um, well, it's been great having you, Robert. <laughs> yeah, Thank you course. for joining <laughs> us. Uh, I just wanted to make sure. I that... just as as someone who's not in America, I'd like to co-sign that. That's certainly the perspective we're getting from uh, down here in New Zealand. <laughs> just a functional ass country right here. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean this is a, a pretty dangerous time, Jack. I, I spend about eighty percent of my time doing podcasts and about twenty percent of it actually doing journalism. And most of my journalism focuses on the far right. And folks who followed it will know that in two thousand nineteen. I was writing and doing media appearances constantly about 8chan and like the Christchurch shooting and the shootings that followed in the wake of that that were all spawned from that website. And so uh, there, the community that I was following at the time, the rhetoric that I saw in that community, which was mostly groups of a few hundred, sometimes a few thousand like neo-Nazis uh, spreading propaganda, that kind of propaganda that I had to like go to places like 8chan or other weird little corners of the internet to find um, Tucker Carlson's saying it, right? The the Christchurch Mass Shooters Manifesto was the great replacement. Carlson did like a whole two-episode series on um, how white people are being replaced, although he didn't quite use those, but that was the, the gist of it, that like Democrats are, are bringing in non-white people to replace the original members of the voters. country. So, yeah, it was like a demographic voting argument. Yeah. Like he it, was just couching it in like a I'm just a political analyst here yeah. type of thing, but it was straight up like Nazi propaganda. Yeah. So that's larger and one of the consequences of J6 is, you know, when social media apps threw a lot of people off of their services um and just, you know, other people left because they'd seen their favorite right-wing thought leader get banned for suggesting the people be murdered. Um, they all wound up in places like Telegram, which is um, in the United States primarily is used by Nazis. So you're seeing the the more mainstreaming of these like kind of violently extremist perspectives. Did you yeah. follow the Rittenhouse like trial? What what were your thoughts on like were you surprised by how it played out? Well, no, I and I, I think one of the silliest things has been kind of the Glenn Greenwald substack contingent trying to like press stories that like the media got the Rittenhouse. If you're surprised about the Rittenhouse verdict, it's because you're in a media bubble. Like nobody's surprised. We're like, yeah, he's, he's a white kid with millions of dollars to spend on his legal defense. 
right. he's probably going to get off. Like, it's a small town Jerry, you know. Um, yeah, I think he'll be fine. And he was fine. The judge, really. I, the only thing that uh, I was surprised by was how, like, openly friendly the judge was. Like, uh, yeah. Just, like, <laughs> it's pretty bad. To, yeah. But, okay. So, that's um, we've already covered that. But, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I guess what what's your best guess as to like what the immediate future looks like and how are you feeling about a second American Civil War, which is something you've been warning was a danger for a number of years. Uh, and now people are like, wait a second, Robert wasn't just joking. I mean, we're definitely experiencing a kind of low intensity insurgency. And you're seeing this on the ground in like school board meetings and kind of some of the early attempts to take over and stop uh, vote counting processes earlier this year in a lot of these like uh, uh, attacks on school boards, like threats against parents and school board members. You're seeing death threats against election officials. And as of yet, the the actual level of deadly violence, there's been a lot of non-deadly. There's constant street fights every week in this country, um, often at like local government meetings. It's happening constantly. Los Angeles is a hot spot in particular. Um, but more to the point, I think you're you are seeing an escalation of rhetoric around deadly violence and the Rittenhouse verdict had a definite impact on that on like kind of the far right side of things like the people who are happy wearing swastikas they've they're putting him in memes with like where they're sainting him and putting like a little swastika halo around his head like they do with all the mass shooters like they do with um oh what's his name Dylan Roof and the like um, and, that and is most not of that's an ironic commentary, like it's both. critique. There's okay. so no, not a critique, but like they're so irony poisoned that it, you can't ever say anything they say is entirely serious. You know, like sure. it's, it's this mix of things because they'll also like call him cucked or whatever for for saying that he supports BLM. Like it, you you have to you have to like these people are capable of holding totally ironic and totally sincere beliefs about the same thing. And so you have to accept that and and assume that like just because they're joking about shooting people doesn't mean they don't also want to shoot people or have people sure. get shot, right? right? Like it's this if you'd looked at I'm sure if you'd looked at a lot of stuff Britton Tarrant had posted online before he killed fifty people, you would have been like, Well, this is just like a guy shit talking. But anyway, I I what what's what worries me is that the shit talking about killing other people has spread. I'm seeing the channels I'm seeing where people are talking about showing up with guns at protests and killing people or just plain killing liberals and leftists, um, the channels where people are discussing that are 10 to 50 times larger than they were this time a year ago. Um, channels that I would see like three or 4,000 people talking about murdering the left, stacking bodies like cordwood. Now there's like 55,000 people following. And like it's that that concerns me. The, the amount of... Um, I'm sure the signal to noise ratio has also gotten worse. Like I'm sure there's a lot more people talking about killing their political enemies and a lot higher percentage of the people who talk about that are full of shit. But also right. the rhetoric itself has and it makes it more likely because there's there's always X number of people out there who are un you know in at such a point in their life or or or, or are the kind of person who if they if they see that it's kind of like how if you're you've got like a family member who's a little bit racist but they never would have they never talked about it openly until like Facebook and then they see some article that says the racist thing that they've always thought and they share it on Facebook who's like well someone else said it so now right. I can share it right now like it's safe for me to express this racist thing I've always believed like that that same thing exists for wanting to murder people um and some percentage of the people who get exposed to that rhetoric 
will actually go out and commit murder. And every time that happens, it ratchets up the temperature. It increases the odds that someone on the left will kill someone on the right, which obviously, as we saw last year, when um, Jay Danielson, the the Trump supporter, was shot dead in Portland, like things went bug fucked for a while. Um, They had to send in the U.S. Marshals to murder that guy to try. And like it, it was this it's just this. Um, right, the guy who shot the Trump supporter. Yeah, it, it's this self-escalating cycle, and we keep spinning up and spinning up and spinning up. And at the same time as, like, I, I think Rittenhouse raises the temperature. I think this verdict raises the temperature. I'm not sure that a guilty verdict would have lowered it, though. Like, I don't know right. if giving them a martyr is worse for overall levels of violence. Like, I, I think once he started pulling his trigger in Kenosha that night, both... Yeah. Uh, like potential outcomes of the court case were had equal potentials to incite violence. I, I honestly think that like not that's not me saying I don't think a conviction would have been justified. I'm just saying like I don't know that it would have made a difference from like a inspiring additional acts of violence standpoint. But that's a super dangerous place to be because the the people who are talking about committing these violent acts and you know on the teetering on the edge of doing that, they see that risk reward. You know they see the same thing you're seeing. They see that. Their two outcomes are likely either they get away with it or they become a martyr and, you know, become a national hero. So like that. Yeah, it just seems like the incentive system is really not there to prevent more of this shit happening. It is. And one of the things that worries me that I think there's a good chance we'll see at some point um, if Rittenhouse had gotten convicted, um, he could not have been pardoned because they were not federal charges. Uh, But I suspect that as we gear up for 2024, Republican presidential candidates are going to be falling over themselves to pardon J6, like convictees, like people who are in prison for their actions on January 6th. And I suspect the next time there's a murder like this, if there's a conviction or even the threat of a conviction on federal charges, it's going to be there's going to be a campaign on the right to pardon people for committing acts of violence like that. And that. That I think that's kind of the next stage when you actually get a right-wing government in power again and they turn the kind of legal apparatus that exists into making providing the legal justifications and niceties for a campaign of political extermination. That's something that worries me a lot. I, I almost regret the framing of civil war. I think it's it's useful and and that's the reason I did it in terms of getting people to understand the potential consequences, the the real actual potential body count um, of the kind of conflict we're going to see. It's less about a kind of like armed insurgency in the hills necessarily than it is about, or at least I think that's less likely almost than a situation in which you have two sides shooting the shit out of each other and one of those sides has the backing of the government to commit atrocities, you know, like that, that, that you get something like that, or you get a bunch of different conflicts like that and different police departments and, and federal agencies like backing different groups, which you've you've had versions of since forever. You know, you look at the, which just came out about the assassination of Malcolm X, right? Who was killed by FBI informants and, you know, who, who the fuck knows what the actual situation is there, but you've always had law enforcement groups like who have been willing to use kind of paramilitary methods within the United States to destroy political opponents. I think that that's kind of what I'm worried about is the next stage of this. And obviously that can escalate. Like I, I think it's it's a long road to the kind of violence we see in Afghanistan, but it's also like 
the the route on the road to that point is bloody enough as it is. Even if you never quite get there, there's a right. lot of blood in between here and Kabul, you know? I feel like the mainstream assumption, and then I'm going to let Joel and Guy say anything. Uh, sorry to dominate. But, like, I just... the. I, I feel like the centrist sort of mainstream assumption is that the right is always going to be the outside like insurgency kind of in that insurgency position. And there's just such a long history of violent right wing killing of people on the left that is, you know, condoned and or sponsored by yeah, the, the Greensboro US massacre government. back in I think it was the seventies. Yeah. Right. Also just to your point about the groups of people like online saying that they want to stack the bodies of people on the left growing exponentially. Are you seeing the same growth of people on the left? Like it it feels like the left hasn't really grown with it because they're in sort of a weird political situation where like the person in office is supposed to be somebody that is on their side and when they point out no he's actually not doing shit it's like god you guys just can't consolidate around a single message so i just feel like the left is staying the same size while the right and yeah. right-wing violence is like having this upsurge i will say i have seen a significant rise equal to the rise on the right in extremist left-wing rhetoric but that doesn't okay. All extremism is not created equal. It is extreme to say, I think we should end capitalism, overthrow the police entirely, redistribute all of the money of the billionaires, and and destroy the oil and gas industry, and, and institute a radical regime of ecological repair. That's, that's an extreme political attitude, right? I have right. seen that increase. I've seen a variety of, including like, you know, stuff that like, like state communism and all sorts of, a whole bunch of different radical left-wing ideologies have gotten more popular. Um, including some that that are like like that approve of murdering people, right? I think overall the amount of I've seen increased rhetoric talking about killing people on the left is is a fraction of what I've seen on the right because left wing extremist ideology rare is less likely to talk about killing people, right? There are radical left wing strains of ideology that that want to stack bodies, you know. But as a percentage of radical left-wing thought, it's lower than the percentage of radical right-wing thought that wants to stack bodies. Because when you get right down to it, at the extreme end of the right, that's all they actually believe in is killing people, right? Like right. that's that is the the furthest right ideology is all about groups of people need to be eliminated, you know. Um, right. And whereas it, the the kind of willingness to kill people in radical left-wing ideology often comes alongside another specific sort of goal. Um, or as a byproduct, like you look at most of the people killed under communist regimes, it wasn't people being shot in the street. It was like starvation because of terrible economic um, and, and agricultural policy. So I, right. I've definitely, we're living, uh, every kind of extremism is more common now than it was five years ago. But I, I don't right. think I, the, the jump of people talking about stacking bodies on the left, it's happened, but it has not been nearly to the same kind of extent yeah. as I've seen on the right. Joel, guy. Yeah. Any questions for Robert? Anything to just add from your own perspectives? No, I'm black, so I had to tune out. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I can no longer engage with sad white boys being like, 
I didn't mean to shoot people. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, um, f- fuck him, right? But like, it's. I mean, it's, it's truly. Yeah. Well, fuck him, and like, and to a much more aggressive extent, fuck anybody who a buys into this shit yeah. or b is like just gleefully elated at, at this shit. Like, I just don't have the energy or time to invest in what has always been. Right. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of people out here who are. Like, just miss me with the faux shock. <gasps> he got off? How? What does yeah. it mean about her? <laughs> what do you oh, mean? Being surprised. I just, like, I can't, I can no longer engage in, in actively watching white supremacy and like grateful mm-hmm. to people like Robert out there who are like, fuck no, not on my watch. Like, <laughs> I'm going to call it out. I'm going to make sure that it's in people's faces and that you can't avoid it because there are a lot of people who just want to pretend it doesn't exist but i am fully aware and for my mental health i've had to just take a large step back from that and like really just my new goals for for probably the next three years is like let me focus on what i can do i can't solve a lot of big problems i have ADD. my focus is everywhere i can Mm. give it to people just outside of my circle trying to do really positive things with their life and their time like Small self promotion. We've got a program. Anna started it. Lovely producer of this podcast. It's called Next Up. It is one of those beautiful <laughs> things ever, ever to happen in my life. Like we have kids trying to preserve their native languages, and we have this young woman who so eloquently speaks about her the assaults that have happened to her and how she's using all of the terrible shit she's been through to to be a victim's advocate in her own life we have people trying to rediscover lost history like that's that's where i want to focus my energy and i think for a lot of us that are like i'm firmly on the left i would like to see a lot of radical politics happen i'm hopefully you know trying to support and engage with the people trying to make that happen but i I just want to work and operate my own little circles and, and try to make life better for those people as best i can yeah. yeah, and I I think that makes total sense. And I think part of what you're getting at, if I'm not mistaken, is the idea that like when it comes to like paying attention to the right people like Rittenhouse and also just like kind of the thought leaders and stuff, it's not mm-hmm. about like fuck doing that to dunk on them or to mm-hmm. argue with them mm-hmm. or to make a case as to why they're illegitimate. Like you shouldn't have to do that. Number one, the only case you need to make is for the things you know are necessary, for the things that you like believe in and want. And number two, the only reason to pay attention to them is the same reason you would pay attention if there were a rattlesnake three feet away from you. Yeah, You're paying attention to know where they are so that you can defend yourself and your community from them. You're not paying attention with them to like dunk on them. Right. Or give them fuel for their fire. Like, I yes. really think they just thrive. So I'm like, oh, let's do an interview with Kyle Rittenhouse. He says Black Lives Matter. What does that mean? It doesn't mean shit. It does not mean shit to me or anyone else. Like, get yeah. out of here. Nobody cares. Yeah. Please go away, little boy. Like, you got so lucky. I think what irks me most about Kyle Rittenhouse is, like, you were so blessed and lucky. Like, you murdered mm-hmm. people. And, and now the government is like, no, go ahead. Do go around with your life. It's fine. Go live that life somewhere far away from us. Like, and it's it- just <sighs> exhausting. And it's the it's so frustrating because I, I have to believe just from a point of moral consistency that any 17 year old in his position should get another chance to be a human being and have a life because he he's, yeah, a child. he's an abolitionist. It, I don't even like want him to run. People are like, throw him in the basement of the cell. Like, no, what does that do for anybody? But I do want you to be held accountable. And that yeah. is, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit if he says, like, yeah, I support Black Lives Matter. If 20 years from now he says, you know what, I regret everything, I made terrible mistakes, I was a brainwash, and I'll be like, okay, good, like, you, I'm glad you've proved that people can change. Um, yeah. But yeah. I don't care, I, I can't imagine, number one, I don't think any of us should care what uh, a, like, he doesn't have any insight into anything, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. other than how to be rich in the criminal justice system. Like to be right. to be honest, like he's as useless for for information on the criminal justice system as like fucking OJ was in '95. Like, mm. yeah, you're a guy who had unlimited money for lawyers, and so you got off. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> that's how yeah. it works. From the Daily Zeitgeist perspective, we're not right wing watch. It's not like as, as much as possible. I try to avoid like seeking out right wing, you know, perspectives. Right, like what they're doing on the right. I'm mainly concerned with the way that I'm seeing that perspective yeah. infiltrate the mainstream media. So like, I feel like we're more mainstream media watch and it's becoming more and more common. Like the window is moving in, in that direction in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, there's also a New Yorker article that a lot of people are pointing to being like, this is a great like profile. It's called Kyle Rittenhouse, American vigilante tries to like be very even handed and like the reporter like follows his family around and uh, it's a very sympathetic portrait of he and his family that article also quotes him and takes him at his word that he's uh, supportive of black lives matter or that his family is uh, and that he didn't know what he was doing when he was throwing up white power hand signals in a picture with proud boys and it's just tacit sort of um <sighs> Yeah, you know, steady state white supremacy of the mainstream that I, I think is and it's kind of worth watching. Yeah, and I, it's so uh, fucking bleak that I, I think one of the overwhelming lessons of the last four or five years is that the concept of journalism has overwhelmingly failed. It is a a failure of an institution, a failure of an industry. Uh, a failure of a discipline on like a profound and almost incomprehensible scale. It didn't start five years ago. You know, you can go back to the 70s, the 80s, read about stuff like the CIA, you know, basically dictating press releases to the New York Times about regime change in, in Guatemala and, and Chile. But it, it's it's just, it, it's this idea that like a lot of, there's a, it's a beautiful idea that there would be a, a fifth estate that has is has as powerful as another branch of the government, but exists purely to check its power and is is completely independent. Um, but that's that's nothing but like a load of horseshit. And and profiles like that make that point because as long as you can be sympathetic to a a, a journalist who believes more than anything that they should not be biased, that like the most important thing in the world is that nobody nobody call them biased. Um, like that is always going to be the result of that shit. It's why we get all of these like fawning pro-Nazi articles. It's why we humanize people like Trump. It's why we tried to humanize. It's why Hitler got humanized by the fucking New York Times and everybody else when he was rising to power. It's because the these people desperately believe there have to be two sides to every person. And because they're dumb and they're hacks and that a New Yorker writer is a dumb hack, they mistake 
being fair and empathetic. And you can and should be empathetic about the case of Kyle Rittenhouse because it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy for the people he killed. It's a tragedy for the community. And it's a tragedy for him as an individual because, like, he has he has destroyed any chance of ever having a life or being a real person. And it's a tragedy that there's a lot to say about the United States, about the way boys grow up here, about gun culture, about just the general worship of violence in our society, about right-wing media, about social media in general. And yes, about about like the left-wing media and, and protest. Oh, there's a lot in this story that a good journalist and, – and, and some of that will involve – being empathetic. You can't just approach Kyle Rittenhouse as if he's as if he's the devil because he's not. He's a kid who made a decision that he thought was justifiable. And a mix mm-hmm. I, I think in his head it was a mix of wanting to be a hero and wanting to be a man and being a mm-hmm. man by killing people. And that's a mm-hmm. that's a compelling emotional story. But if you're just a hack and a fraud, uh the only way to make something compelling is to pretend there's as much good in someone's actions as there was bad. Like that's yeah. what even-handed means to hacks, mm-hmm. and so you don't get—I don't know—you don't get a lot of good journalism these days. Well, and to your point, Robert, like that same ideology of like we have to be even-handed and fair is keeping a lot of people who have an otherism within their livelihood, whether that's race, whether it's oh, gender yeah. identity, whether it's you know sexuality, whatever the case may be, from being in these rooms. And we saw a lot of that with Nicole Hannah Jones of just like mm-hmm. <laughs> she is so on top of her game, and it's still constantly like, oh well, you can't put your prejudice because you're black. How could you ever yeah. report about slavery? what well, if you have if you had a black journalist report on a black lives matter protest or on police violence against the black community that's a conflict of interest that's bias yes. so let's just have another white dude do it <laughs> Which, oh my gosh it's so it's so upsetting to have so many friends who have actually studied journalism who are trying to do it ethically be kept out of these rooms or kept at a a pay rate where they cannot mm-hmm. live a full life and just constantly be told either you're not good enough, you haven't done enough studies, and or your position in life instantly makes you prejudiced and unable to evenly report on almost anything that has to do with your livelihood. It is just, it's an, it's an insane place to sort of stand in the middle and be like, we could really use some great journalism now. And the best that we have is typically people who are unverified. And we're just hoping that these folks on the ground have enough knowledge, have actually done the research, have enough training to do it because we can no longer trust the institutions that have been around. Yeah. I, the most influential piece of journalism last year, into their mild credit, the Pulitzers recognized this, uh, was the young woman who took a video of George Floyd getting murdered. Like mm-hmm. that that was the that was more impactful than every article the New York Times wrote that year put together. Um, and it was impactful. It wasn't less good journalism because she looked at what was happening and was like, well, this is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. All right. I, I figured this would happen. I like bring yeah. you on and then ask you an hour's worth of questions. And then I'm just like, all right, well, that was an act of the podcast. But th- thank you for joining us. I'm sure we'll, you know, Continue this conversation. I'm sure you'll be continuing mm-hmm. it on uh, your podcasts, Behind the Bastards, and it could happen here. That's um, that's very true, Jack. All right, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be right back. And we're back. And 
Let, let's talk about McDonald's ice cream machine. Uh, Finally. Yeah, yes. could we? The real hard-hitting <laughs> news, what we needed to get you this whole time. Not a lot to see here, just capitalism working extremely well. Um, so for anyone who, brought, who missed our first update on McDonald's ice cream machines, they are notoriously out of order. Um, like, you know, there, there are websites, there are apps even that uh, are used to track whether a McDonald's ice cream machine is in order or not, because the percentages that get thrown around are like between 10 and 25% of the time they're out of order. But in my experience, it's, it's been a hundred. Yeah. It's well, like, cannot get usually they're McDonald's, out of order. It's a myth. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> how often are you guys getting your ice cream from McDonald's? If you ever had McFlurry, you would understand. Okay, it's not the cardboard. It is all sort of so good, guy. It's Wait, amazing. do other places serve ice cream? Is that yeah, yeah man? We got we got ice cream shops down here. Sorry, I'm a, I'm American over here. That's I'm McDonald's just, uh, for us. Okay, that's, that's it. In what I have to imagine, if anybody could please leak the pitch doc for the uh, sale of these machines, like the signing of the deal. I have to imagine it rivals the uh, Pepsi logo redesign, like for just like bullshit capitalism, like buzzwords. But they've signed a contract to buy all their ice cream machines from one company uh, called Taylor. Taylor outfitted those ice cream machines with a proprietary computerized interface. So the machines that they bought from this company, like promptly didn't work for shit. McDonald's had to start spending money every time one broke down to pay said company to fix them uh, since they had this proprietary computerized interface that like nobody else knew how to operate. The company was making 25% of their revenue uh, off of just repairing McDonald's ice cream machines. Like from Shout out not just Tyler. their <laughs> not just their <laughs> McDonald's revenue, like all their revenue across the whole company. <laughs> like a quarter was just repairing their okay. own. I just want to pause the story machines. here because I feel like this is going to be anti-Taylor. But if you sell, if you manage to sell a contract for your soft serve machines to McDonald's, mm-hmm. right? Hats off, right? Furthermore, mm-hmm. if you know that those are faulty machines, you're the only <laughs> person who can fix right. them. Yep, yep. Yeah. You got got McDonald's. I'm sorry, you had a good run. Has Lacey so, Mosley done this scam story yet? I'm literally about to tweet it at her because this yeah, is the greatest scam to. in history. And I think if McDonald's PR was intelligent, they'll be like, listen, we really want to pay our employees more. We would. But our ice cream machines right. already, that's Taylor's mm. fault. Okay. If Taylor fixes our ice cream machine permanently, everyone gets $2 an hour. And then more people go back to McDonald's. I feel I'm really seeing the dominoes here. So the problem with that is Uh-oh. that the people who signed the deal with Taylor in the first place, which was a stupid fucking deal, obviously, mm-hmm. like uh, well, they still work for again, McDonald's, that's a, presumably. That's a matter of perspective. Right. It's a bad deal. Bad deal for McDonald's. They still work for McDonald's and therefore they don't want to admit it was a bad deal. So they just double down on this relationship. <laughs> a company named uh, Kitch, K-Y-T-C-H. Great just, company name. Yes. The story's just got it all. Yes. Uh, Kitch came through and started making essentially a uh, game genie. I don't know if you guys like are old, old-timey old gamers, but like this was a thing you could plug into uh, Sega and Nintendo and it would just like make it so uh, you could like you had unlimited lives and like the rules mm. basically didn't apply to you. 
Like they the made a game genie my childhood for the uh, for the McDonald's ice cream machines uh, that basically allowed people who worked at McDonald's to work the ice cream machines without calling Taylor uh, to come through and like <laughs> do the do the okay. thing. Okay. Okay. Again, my inclination is to side with Taylor here. Not unlike I would side with Nintendo or Sega. If you you know. It, you're only cheating yourself. If you get infinity lives, you're not learning any lessons when you're gaming. Right. And if you want to pull an ice cream, you shouldn't be able to do that easy. If, you, if you're operating <laughs> these machines, it sounds like it should be a challenge. I have a theory that Taylor is somehow involved with Kitsch. And because I understand that capitalism is all about tricking people into giving you more money, and frequently people will create shell companies to be like, no, look, this one right here, it's so good. Like, we've got you covered from all sides. You can't escape our business prowess. Well, they were uh, involved with them in the sense that they took Kitsch's invention, like basically reverse engineered it and then like put Kitsch out of order by getting McDonald's to send a company wide like memo being like, never use the Kitsch thing ever, which again, so McDonald's is on Taylor's side because they, you know, signed the deal together. That was a bad deal Mm. and not efficient. And, you know, the, the people who are suffering here, unfortunately, are not the people who signed that deal in the first place. It's the employees who are having to mm. work this broken fucking ice cream machine that doesn't work and had to like that were reduced to like going on the black market to find a game genie for their ice cream machine. Like that's how much it ruined their job. I, I, I smell an opportunity for Jack O'Brien, soft serve king. Yes, you get a small documentary here. crew, you travel across America, <laughs> and you help out these employees by showing them good soft serve technique. Yes. So the documents, I get the feeling it has little to do with their not having good technique, which I I am a little bit like, when, when I get a McDonald's soft serve, I'm like, call that a fucking cone? Are we, are we serious? You don't like the little baby, like four inch Tiny little cones? No, it's fine, Joa. It's fine. <laughs> it's just, it could be better um, when it's working. But so basically, the documents have revealed Taylor was sending emails <laughs> being like, we got to make one as good as Kitsch. Mm, like, Kitsch mm, is mm. eating our lunch and just like basically openly copying their thing while trying to put them out of business. Uh, it's like anti competitive. And this uh, Wired article just makes a good point that this is essentially actually it's a quote from one of the uh, kitsch employees i think kitsch founders who said you might compare this to the f-35 it's like does lockheed really want to finish this airplane or do they want another 100 million dollar contract to fix some component on the old one it's like that is the truth about how money is mostly spent in the economy in the american economy Mm -hmm. is it's like all these you know backdoor deals and like people covering their own ass for making a stupid decision that then affects people who you know had nothing to do with the decision and have to like you know work with this on a on a daily basis is it is there a parallel to theranos where it's like we got this great thing and you tell everyone and you sell it to them and then people go, oh, it's not quite working. And you're like, you're right. But what we need is a little right. bit more seed money. And then right. we're going to get this thing working so good, you're not going to freaking believe it. And then you just <laughs> see how long you can stretch the lie for. Right. You know when you're a kid and you uh-huh. assume that adults 
or across everything. <laughs> yeah. This Turns is just out. that. It's like you assume, you know, mm. everyone knows how everything works, but everyone's an idiot. Yeah. See, it's even, all just, yeah. It's. I want to help McDonald's out here, not because of a deep affinity of love for McDonald's or anything, but just because, like, what if you guys, and, and hear me out, just stop selling ice cream? you're like you know once the machine's broken we're just not going to use it anymore and we're not going to buy anymore and it's going to be fine what percentage of ice cream sales is mcdonald's like really well because it's like a dollar for a cone i just really feel like they can go without and then once that taylor contract expires they could just be like okay now we're going to pivot and i don't know like sign a deal with ben and jerry's okay it's really going to just upgrade you could sell it for more money more people are going to come through there's got to be a solution here that doesn't involve you. I just don't like when people get screwed with. It really hurts my feelings. I feel like, why yeah. are we doing this? Why? I, more than that, I hate wasting money. I don't understand how like so much money has been wasted. So many valuable man hours. What are we doing? Is this, uh, I don't understand anything. <laughs> I feel like yeah. as soon as that Taylor contract expires, there'll be a new sales rep from a hot new company called Tyler who shows up with a like, mustache <laughs> yeah. and says, I understand you had trouble with some ice cream machines. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, oh I God. was, I just spent uh, an hour and a half food shopping at my local uh, Kroger late last night, and uh, it's because they completely reshuffled where everything is in the Kroger. Yep, that's a good tactic. Uh, and I got to the you know checkout, and as I got to the checkout, a armed security guard came in looking for a bottle of liquor. <laughs> Oh. And asked uh, asked the uh, person who was checking me out like where it was, and he was like, it "Used to be in like six, but I honestly like don't know where the fuck anything is anymore." And then we just had a good, a nice little like five minute complain about like how we don't understand why they do it. And he was like, "Yeah, I mean, it's you know somebody who gets paid way more than me decided to do this and doesn't have to deal with this shit at all." Well, the thing is to make it more difficult for you to shop. Like it's a very specific tactic. Because if you know where everything is, you can go in and grab what you want and get out. But if you don't know where everything is, you have to peruse the aisles. And suddenly, you know, you're picking up, I don't know, the new topped Ben and Jerry's with the caramel yeah. in it. Oh, so fucking good. Or, you know, whatever. Like, because it used to be like all of your, like, you go to if any grocery store ever, you go to the left, and that's where your vegetables and fruits are. You come through the door, all your veggies and fruits are here. Back wall, it's all of your dairy products right and down yeah. the sides you've got uh, anything else that needs to be refrigerated but isn't directly dairy related and then you know your aisles are chopped up however those are chopped up um typically you're working your way into more processed sugar things um but then they they switch it up so you gotta you gotta really get in there and look for what you want and hopefully buy more things as is the american way and in, in new zealand it's totally different you go they're all these they're all open air and um they're not shells. Everyone just wears hessian sacks, and they walk around and they wave. Their, <laughs> they wave their wares, and they they say, "Milk for sale! Milk for sale!" Yeah. Here goes guy again bragging about his like beautiful euphoric <laughs> land that he comes from. God, we have to get out of here, Chad. <laughs> Man, I'd feel a lot less stupid uh, if I hadn't gone in just looking for SOS uh, pan scrubbing pads and come out with like two hundred dollars worth of groceries. Uh, I think. I think they fucking got me, Joel. That's I think how it you're works. Right. That's how it works. There's nothing Oof. worse than doing that, and you're carrying around the little basket, and you're like, "This will cover everything." <laughs> That's right. Then you're playing Tetris with your groceries. Yeah. Mm. Oh man. Uh, well, guy, Joel, as well. It's been such a pleasure having both of you, guy. Ooh. Where can people uh, find you and follow you? You can find me 
in Auckland at my house. <laughs> and that's been true for a long time. But if, if that is not enough for you, you can find me online, which is Twitter and Instagram at guy underscore Mont. And I recently released a, um, I self released on Bandcamp a stand up show, my hour long yes. stand up show from earlier this year when it was legal to do stand up comedy in this country. Um, it's nice. called Guy Montgomery by name, Guy Montgomery by nature, and it's it's five US dollars <laughs> on Bandcamp, which I'm pretty sure is like um, a dime for you guys. So uh, <laughs> with inflation, yeah, 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 it's it's great value. Yeah, uh, awesome. awesome. Go buy that. I will out. be going to buy that <laughs> yeah. right after we end this uh, meeting. Uh, and is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? Yeah, there was a tweet I saw the other day that I was just like, man, the word economy on this is out of sight. It's by a Twitter user, at ArsonDoer. So, <laughs> pretty incriminating handle. Uh, but the tweet was, if smoking's so bad, why does it cure salmon? I mean, beautiful. <laughs> it is it, so... So perfect and such a, a perfect dad joke uh, and in line with the sensibility of this show that it has been used before, but we, we will allow it. No, it, no wow. it, can't, it cannot be. This is why you, I like, I knew I was coming on the show a week ago and I was like, I'm going to put that to the side and there then you go. some dirty dog got in there. Betrayed. I think it was Miles, so you can blame him. It was. Uh, Joelle, yeah. uh, where can people find you? What is the tweet you've been enjoying? Yes, y'all know me. You can find me all over the internet at Joelle Monique. It's J O E L L E M O N I Q U E. Yes. Um, Michelle C. Clark on Twitter uh, tweeted something that's really beautiful. I believe in signs from the universe, little gifts here and there. If you're looking for them, I'm trying to make a lot of uh, small but impactful changes, as my therapist likes to call them. Uh, it's not you. easy, but Michelle C. Clark said staying committed to healthy daily habits is like writing a series of love letters to your future self. And it really resonated with me. And if you're also trying to make little small and significant changes for a better life, uh, hopefully it resonates with you too. That's nice. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. A couple tweets I've been enjoying. Jamie Loftus uh, at Jamie Loftus help oh, tweeted. Yeah. What is a holiday but a family member calling you Mrs. Fucking Hollywood when you refuse to eat spaghetti from a Ziploc bag? <laughs> and then Tom Gara uh, just gave us a little piece of nonfiction uh, that has stuck with me since I read it earlier this morning. Uh, he said, a tragic airplane moment. We've been sitting on the tarmac waiting to take off for two hours. No. The guy in front of us fell asleep immediately upon boarding. He just woke up and started getting ready to get off the plane. No. He thought we'd landed. My wife broke the news to him. Poor um, baby. Oh. I know. That's, I've, I've, I've been that guy in a, a slightly, I would say, even more disorienting situation, which is I was awake when the plane took off and uh, fell asleep when, once we were in the sky and then we got to where we were meant to land but it was too windy to land and so the plane circled back and landed at the original airport oh my god when i woke up and was like all right holiday time <laughs> fuck man uh all right. Well, you can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. 
And I am going to uh, recommend you go check out uh, Earl Sweatshirt's new song, 2010, which is just a dope song. Lyrically, he seems to just continue to get better and better. Um, and I really like the beat. Go check that out. The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for us this Monday morning. We're back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye. Bye.